Oh, Lord, we do, we do want to adore you because we realize that you alone are worthy of our praise and the pouring out of our lives. And we confess that there are so many things that compete for that and that we too easily cave into. But we thank you for the rich abundance of your Holy Spirit wooing us, nurturing us, bumping us, nudging us, prompting us, calling us, never letting us go, drawing us into your presence to where we can be yielded again and again and again in our weakness. And thank you that out of our weakness, your strength is poured for the world to see. Lord, we, we do praise you for your, the fellowship of belonging to your body, that it is you who have brought us here, and that you have brought us here for your purpose, so that the world would see and hear and experience the reality of your amazing grace. And we think about those situations where your grace is so needed and so unknown, far and wide, in nations, in individual lives, next door, around the world, where there's tragedy, where there's natural disaster. We think of those in Texas who are facing that hurricane, but we also think of people who perhaps are facing all sorts of tumult in places we've never even heard of that, that just don't make it into the news. And Lord, we pray for the tumult that is in people's hearts because they're torn apart by the values of this world and the things of this world and trying to have what this world says is enough when you alone are enough. And we pray that our lives would reflect that. We pray that whatever you give us, we would be more than ready to give away in whatever fashion of our hands or our hearts, our patience, our listening, our surrendering, are reflecting your grace. Let it, Lord, happen to us and through us for your purpose. Bless your church. Lord, there's little tiny churches where people are having to hide out in closets. And there's great big churches. And then there's us right here. And we thank you that we get to be part of that body that proclaims your goodness. So let us live in that and express it together as we join our lives in that prayer you've taught us to live and pray as we say together with one voice, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we do praise you that you want to use the lives you've given us for your good purpose in whatever way you know is best to pour yourself through us, whether as a greeter or working the coffee cart or helping with Sunday school. Thank you. Thank you for these gifts that we have every day that give us the stability and the launching place from which to go out and to say, I'm going to see the king soon and very soon, and you can too. May our lives be a beacon of that for your glory as we give them to you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> Missed you, Karen. That was cool. You know, uh, 
My parents praised God for baseball doubleheaders. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Back in the 60s, when San Diego had minor league baseball, like they still have minor league baseball in San Diego. <laughs> That's the truth. The Universal Boot Shop gave free passes to kids under 16, and my folks could drop us off at the ballpark after Sunday school on Sundays, and we would be there for six hours watching the doubleheader. They were so glad to have me out from underfoot <laughs> for six hours. No babysitter. The San Diego Padres were my babysitter. Hey, this morning, I ran into my brother, <clears throat> Donald Shear in the hallway, and he said, uh, hey, are, are, are we through with the Ten Commandments? And I said, no, but the world thinks we are. <laughs> and we, we have gone through all ten, but we need to wrap these up because, no, we're not through with them. They are not our salvation. They're, they remind us of our need for salvation. So listen as I read once more these timeless and priceless words from Exodus chapter 20. And today we're going to read the verses following the commandments, verses 18 through 21. Listen to God's word. Then God spoke all these words, operative word. Then God spoke all these words. Everybody heard them. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it, set it apart. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people Witness the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. They were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you, you, you speak. 
to us and, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. For God has only come to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take these words and write them upon our hearts so that we are never finished with them, but that they draw us close to him. Let us pray. Our Father, let your good news come now, not only in word, but in power, your power, the power of your Holy Spirit. And with that full assurance, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. And so we come to a point of looking back on the directions that God has given us as we prepare to move on, as we prepare to cross the river, because that's what the Jordan River was, an entry point into the new land. Now, we may have squirmed a few times. In fact, I I hope we have squirmed a few times at how these directions have convicted us of, a, of the need of a change of heart. But I think mostly our collective response has been, we need to hear this more. I know I do. Particularly in these days when our cultural compass about what is right is spinning around like a Nevada windmill in a windstorm. It's like everyone seems to think they know where to go, but no one really knows how to get there. And so everyone's shouting a different direction. And the more things change, the more things remain the same as they were then, so they can be today, unless our compass is God's Holy Spirit pointing to his word. The people who heard this that day, even as we've heard it today, were not meant to stay where they were. This was not a word about, okay, you're all good. We're over with the Ten Commandments. Just kind of tuck them away there. These words were in our directions from God's own voice. Long before God wrote them down, God spoke them for people to hear. If you look forward to the 32nd chapter, of Exodus. That's when Moses goes up and gets the written copy. First, God speaks them. Shema. Shema in Hebrew. Listen, God said. Listen, I've got the directions you need. Listen, all of you, God said. Do not try to read what I'm saying, God said, on your smartphones. You know why? They didn't have them yet. Praise God. Do not look on your Facebook page. It will not be there. Still isn't. Do not wait for a Twitter from me, said God. I am speaking to you now. Put anything that would distract you aside as 
the prophet said, it is useless. Do not expect to hear what I am about to tell you, what I am telling you right now, to be spun on the news, left or right. You all listen to me, said God. I am going to make this very direct and very simple. And I think that's why we love this. We may not like it at times, but we love it because it's direct and simple. Now, we might say, dang. You know that Hebrew word, dang. (laughs) I wish God would do that again. I wish he would just shout out from the mountain. I wish we'd all hear him speak. I want to hear it, we might say. I want to hear God speak audibly. I want everyone to hear the same thing. But I wonder if we would really want to hear it or if we would do what the people did in the wilderness when God spoke. The original Hebrew is translated, as we've just read, they were afraid and troubled and stood at a distance, which means literally they panicked. When they heard God speak, they panicked. They freaked out irrationally. They ran away from what God was saying. Does it sound familiar? God is speaking. God is continuing to speak today. Yes, God has written it down in our minds today, our minds that read. But Moses, who was a foreshadowing of God's mediating presence in Jesus, said, Do not be afraid. For God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Remember, as we've looked at this, there are blessings when God says, you will not kill, you will not commit adultery, and the rest. He's saying, because I have blessed you and because you're trusting me and not running away from what I've said to you, you will not do these things. And because you do not do these things, you will not be distanced from me, and therefore you will be blessed because being with me is the best thing that can happen, God said. And do you know why God knew that? Because God created us for himself. The place they were in was not their home. Trust me, I've been there in the middle of the Sinai. You will not want to spend more than about 15 minutes there. It's hot and it's desolate. It's not a place where you can be sustained. They had a long way to go and they needed simple directions on how to get there. And God gave them these directions to show how far they were from home. A home they could not get to on their own, even if they did obey all these directions. As essential as these directions are for living, the most important reason they are given is to show how they will not in themselves get us where we need to be. That's why God gave them. You need me, God said God. These things will show you that. We need a mediator. And although Moses could point them to where they needed to be, these directions showed Israel, as they show you and me, what was missing in their collective identity and what's missing in our identity. They needed to trust that only God would get them home. That, this is what is meant to, to be put to the test, to discover what is missing. And what is missing is to respect God so much that in our weakness we seek God rather than sinfully missing the mark of of our own ways. 
Too often we think a test is something trying to catch us being bad, when in fact God tests us to show us what's missing, and what's missing is relying on God. This is how much God loves us. He gave us these directions to show us how much we need Him to get us home, and that God is home. Nothing less will do. With these directions, God is saying, where you are is not where you are meant to be or to stay, no matter how afraid or how comfortable you are. And sometimes we're both at the same time, comfortable with something we should be afraid of. Where we are meant to be is in relationship with God such that no matter what the world offers us, no matter what level of comfort the world offers us, we say, no, I must go with my Father. You know why? Because ever since the fall, this world was not meant to be our permanent home. There's an old song, we got to get out of this place if it's the last thing we ever do. Okay? I've never used that at a funeral, but I think we need to. <laughs> because, see, only, only as we are reunited with the one who made us and redeemed and who redeemed us, will we know that permanent shalom where nothing is missing? Only then will we be home. I, I discovered something this week from my friend Dr. Jim Goodlow, the director of the uh, Seminar for Reformed Theology. It was written in 400 AD by Augustine. And he's talking about the two different worlds, the two different places we could be. One is the city of God, and the other is the city of man. And Augustine, 400 A.D., what's that, 1,600 years ago? Says, we see then that the two cities were created by two kinds of love. The two cities, humanities and gods, two kinds of love. The earthly city was created by love of self, reaching the point of contempt for God. The heavenly city was created by the love of God and is carried as far as contempt of self. In fact, the earthly city glorifies glories in itself. The heavenly city glorifies God. The former looks for glory from people. The latter finds its highest glory in God, the witness of a good conscience. The earthly lifts up its head in its own glory. The heavenly city says to its God, my glory, you are the lifter of my head. In the former, the lust for domination lords it over its princes, as over the nations it subjugates. In the other, but those put a, who are put in authority and subject to them serve one another in love, the rulers by their counsel, the subjects by obedience. The one city loves its own strength, shown in its powerful leaders, the other says to God, I love you, my Lord and my strength. Two places, the wilderness and heaven. And heaven begins here as we trust God. You see, we were made by God's grace to be delivered from the fallenness of this world. These directions call us to love God and to be led by these words to the one who will lead us to our new home. In our fallen state, in our brokenness, 
We were not made to live forever in this wilderness. C.S. Lewis described this so well when he said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A, a baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy my longing, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. That's why we're here, to tell people this isn't it, but there is a place for us. We are living in a wilderness, my friends, much like that of those who first heard God speak these words. I'm convinced of that. We are living in a wilderness time, no matter where on this little tiny blue marble that was very, very much like that time. And then as now, they and we need to know that our home is another country, the true country of abiding in the words of the one who gave himself to carry us beyond our ability to follow these directions because we're not following them and we're never going to follow them to the point of salvation. Only God's salvation will keep us where we are need to be. We are surrounded by a human condition that is ironically so close but so far from home. <laughs> We're surrounded by a people wanting to tear down idols and statues. Idols of people and ideologies and so much else. When the idol of self is what needs to be dismissed and torn down so that the one who died to give us life can reign in us now and forever. No, it's, it's not those statues out there. It's the statue of self inside that needs to come down. And we will only be able to follow these perfect ten directions when we are willing to leave the land of self and enter the land of worshiping God and what God loves. Until then, we will live in fear no matter how bold we may try to act. And we will not get home to that true country until we want what God has placed in our hearts. Margaret, do you have a slide for me? There's a slide, if we can get this up on the screen, that asks, what if I fall? The little, the little girl in gossamer wings, she's going to try to fly and she wants to know but what if I fall? And we could all be asking the same question. We may think, well, I've got gossamer wings. God, you want me to do something that I can't do. What if I fall? 
And God calls us to trust him and to try and to move on to the land of living only in him. And as God calls us to go to the new land, God is placing wings upon us and responding to our fear, saying, Oh, my darlings, oh, my darlings, but what if you fly? What if you fly? What if you fly? Oh, my dear friends, that we would all live remembering that we belong to a God who died and rose again so that what looked like gossamer wings would in fact enable us to soar beyond our imagining and carry us home to himself. He gave these directions to show us all what it really means to fly. Because we know we can't fly by, these, by the world's standards. We can't do even what God calls for perfectly. But in Jesus Christ, we can soar because he fulfills what we never could, and we are led by him to his country, by his blood, by his power, by his resurrection. So let me ask you as we close today, in what world are we trying to live? By whose standards are we trying to live? God has placed us here in this world and in this time for his purpose. We all love the assurance that we say every week when we leave here, we go right. But how are we pointing to the true country of belonging solitarily to God in Jesus Christ? We live in the midst of people who are still in captivity in Egypt, in bondage, the bondage of thinking they will find a way to rescue themselves or that something will happen to change things. The political mood will change. The winds will blow. The lottery will be won. Chance will come about. But these perfect ten, these perfect ten, testify to the perfect one who, guess what, has already come. The change has already taken place. These words say God has been faithful and God has changed things forever when he said it is accomplished it is finished the law has been met in Jesus Christ and our great assurance of hope and privilege is to share with the world that you know what the war is over the battle has been won the land is secured and our way is paid yes we can love these words as keys to freedom as we realize that what Jesus did has cleared the way for being home now and one day forever. So may we stand on tiptoe in sunshine or shadow, no matter what is happening, in living and in dying, rejoicing in this promise and leading others to embrace and being embraced by this promise of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And if not by accident, you wandered into this place today and do not know this hope, would you please go to coffee hour and tell someone before you leave that this is the gift you need. 
because this gift will change your life and it will change the life of the person who gets to tell you about it before leaving for God's home. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to be over this. But we also know we need to look to Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and for that joy endured that for us. And we thank you that we can trust you and that your promise is sure. And we pray that we would reflect that and enjoy it until we're home with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up. And as we... Let us respond to this very first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is our only comfort in life and in death? That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. May we be shepherded by that love.
So remember, these words were not spoken by accident. They were spoken on purpose, out loud for each of us. And because of that, we can trust that we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. So may we believe it and therefore go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Trust in God.